Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and joining me today, as she does every day, is my BFF, Sadie Carpenter. Sadie, can I just say happy pride to you? Thank you. Is Okay, question. Is it happy pride in England and merry pride in America, or is it just happy pride <laughs> worldwide? That's a great question. question. I'm pretty sure it's just happy pride everywhere, but happy pride as well <laughs> to you. It's not like a, a Christmas situation. <laughs> not that, not that I'm aware of. Um, so, so just to put this on your level, you know how Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. I'm pretty yes. sure that Pride is also not gay Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> At least, not to my understanding. Uh, do they have uh, gay Christmas. What is gay Christmas? I think it's. I think it's just Christmas, but instead of your family, you have a group of chosen family at your house and maybe also some family members depending well hey that sounds like a good time but yeah happy pride to all of uh, to, to you sadie and especially happy pride to all of our lgbtqia2 plus listeners and happy, happy pride, pride to, you. to you as well thank you because as we're going to talk about later pride is for everybody hey that's nice you can that's inclusive not be a jerk 
<laughs> so um, we'll talk about it. So last year, t- we were planning on doing one or two Pride-related, LGBTQ-related episodes during Pride Month. But in response to a Twitter homophobe, we decided to do an entire month of Pride-related deconstruction content instead. And we loved that. And we had such a good time that we have decided to do that again this year and bring our listeners different topics related to Pride, kind of a variety of content. We've got interviews, we've got lighthearted stuff, we've got serious stuff, but we want to have our Pride Month celebration continue this year. I want to make a note about why we are covering Pride-related content on our Religious Abuse and Deconstruction podcast. I think when we think about deconstruction, there we know that there are just hundreds of things to work through. We have to get over the mental hurdles that allow us to break rules, like wearing something specific or going to the movies or listening to a certain type of music or drinking alcohol. And that's what I think people tend to associate the most with deconstruction because it's what people see from the outside. So if we don't know what somebody's internal thoughts are, we tend to gauge their deconstruction by what we can see, which makes sense. You know, there there are external signifiers, but like, yeah, really, the struggle is internal. Exactly, which is where I get so up in arms about certain people with the last name of Duggar who will be seen in pants, but there is no reason to think that they've done that internal work. Those Hmm. external signifiers are just the tip of the iceberg because somebody is might be wrestling with trying to get up the courage to wear jeans outside the house for the first time. And that can certainly be a real struggle. But to get to that point externally, usually they're doing a lot of internal work and deciding what beliefs to keep and what to throw away from what they've been taught. They're wrestling with doctrines and teaching and brainwashing on every level. The things that permeated every part of their life up to this point, the fabric of this person's life is being unwoven and rewoven into something else. But those are just like normal things when you're coming out of fundydom. That's just like the the pants thing. That's like a that, that's just like a normal thing. I suppose there like there's got to be an added layer of like a, you know an added things if you're leaving fundydom and you're like LGBT. Yeah, for sure. It is um absolutely a whole nother level of things you have to deal with. But I think even for people who deconstruct who happen to be straight and cis. The teachings about the topic are a huge thing to untangle. It is even bigger for the people who are LGBT. But I think even for straight cis deconstructors, this is a thing that they really have to deal with. And I'm saying all of this as an explanation of why we make such a point of doing Pride Month content. It's not just because it's trendy or because I'm an LGBT person and I want to celebrate Pride Month. It's because... This is a legitimately huge thing that, in my opinion, everybody who leaves the IFB or any homophobic and repressive group is going to have to deconstruct. So our Pride content, yeah, it's fun, mostly. It's a celebration of all of our wonderful LGBT listeners. But I think it's extremely relevant to the main theme of the show because this is something that just about everybody has to deconstruct. So, Sadie, what are we going to help people untangle with today or wrestle with today? So, today I'm going to take you through just a tiny bit of modern queer history. I'm going to cover the Stonewall Riot, the very first Pride celebrations, and how Pride parades became a thing. I think that queer history is something that a lot of us were just never taught or taught 
in an incredibly skewed way. For our LGBT listeners, I think this can be a healing and a freeing thing to learn about the history of people like us. But I also think this is important for allies because a huge part of my deconstruction around the whole topic of LGBT people was humanizing the LGBT LGBT experience for myself, learning that this is a part of history, that these were real and relatable people who have existed long before the 1960s. I think what we were told in the IFB is that people just suddenly started being gay um, large scale in like the 60s and understanding that, no, this is this is people have been LGBT pretty much forever. And it's just social change that we see it more starting at that time. Uh, I think that 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 was a huge part of deconstructing this topic for me. So that's what we're going to talk about. And then in the second half, we're going to talk about going to pride parades or attending pride festivals. We're going to do a little bit of a how-to. I think the anxiety of like, what do I wear? How do I act? What is going to happen at this event can be a hurdle for a lot of deconstructing people who would otherwise like to attend a pride event. And I'd like to help with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited for this because... Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, I went to public school. Um, I went to Normie Public School, and we didn't learn about LGBT history in history class. Mm. So, it like, yeah, basically until the 1960s, you know, there was nothing, except there would maybe be like a historical figure that mm-hmm. they would say, oh, and and as a side note, he was also probably gay, uh, we think, maybe. Like, and, and then, you know, just move on from that. But anyway, before we get into that, uh, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about uh, my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. Uh, we talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole and it is our goal to promote freedom of mind freedom of thought and freedom of religion so if you like our show if you are a fan of our show a couple of things that you can do you can join our patreon which is patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast where you will find extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes and you can join our facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus so it is as we know it is pride month um and sadie and i have decided once again that we will be making uh, a, a charitable donation to an organization that we believe strongly in sadie do you want to tell the listeners about that Yes. So I was the I picked the charity for this year's Pride Month donation and I chose Point of Pride. They're a foundation that provides direct assistance to trans and non-binary people across the United States. I like them because they mix uh, activism and direct action. I feel like activism is super important, but direct action that makes a immediate impact in somebody's life is something that can get can fall to the wayside. And I love that they focus on that. I also love that they mix larger financial help, larger amounts of financial help with things that are 
comparatively smaller and that they're able to provide multiple different services. So what Point of Pride does, they have an annual grant for people who are seeking gender-affirming surgeries. They provide grants yearly to cover all of the costs of that for people. They also have a grant to help trans femme people access electrolysis. They have a grant that's year-round, they just kind of rolling year-round, that helps people access HRT through an app that's able to prescribe in states where access may be difficult. They also distribute free binders and shapewear to trans and non-binary people across the country. Yeah. And so if you want to support uh, this cause with us, what you can do, there's a link in our show notes. Uh, We're going to have a donation link down there so you can support them too. The other thing that you can do is that we have some brand new pride themed merch. So we've got the just uh, the Leaving Eden podcast pride logo. Uh, You can get that on uh, shirts, mugs, I think. Um, we've also got some shirts and some sweatshirts that are specifically pride focused that we designed just for this year. Um, I think one of them is a Bi Pride t-shirt. You know, I know Sadie loves her some Bi Pride. We had to do that. It's uh, it's it's King James Bible themed because we do know almost for a fact that King James was probably at least bisexual. I think we I think we know as much as we can know about any historical uh, any historical person. The only like the the only thing we could have more is if he had written down somewhere like I am attracted to both men and women. So it it is really clear. I mean, he might have, and they might have destroyed that uh, just for That's reputations. True. Who knows? But we, I mean, we, we specifically did that. I mean, we kind of want to troll the fundies with that one um, because we know that they uh, pseudo worship uh, the, the King James version in, in a very weird way. So we wanted to uh, maybe be a little bit blasphemous to them in that way. Speaking of being blasphemous, uh, there's another pride shirt that you can get. I think we've got shirts, sweatshirts, whatever. And this one has a couple of Bible verses that uh, we're not saying it says something, but, you know, you can read into it what you want to read into it and you can check that out. Yeah, we believe in people interpreting the scripture for themselves. So we've just printed some Bible verses on a T-shirt. So <laughs> yeah, have fun with that one. Um, but if you're interested in those, uh, all of the profits that we make uh, from those uh, pieces of merch, any of the, the pride themed merch that we have is going to also go to Point of Pride. We're going to donate that money. Um, Sadie, am I forgetting anything? Um, I, I think that is it, other than thanking the Faith Promise Missions patrons. All right. Well, our Faith Promise Missions here patrons, the people that really keep the lights on for our show, that is Alex Todd, a brand new one. Thank you very much, Alex Todd. Brittany, Carrie R., Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hope Norum, Jen Kacharski, Jessica Tambo, Kay Terwee, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Reverend Robert Stutes. Thank you very much, Reverend Robert Stutes. We love you so much. Sadie's actual BFF Morgan, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. So we were informed that, Gavi, you forgot to read Morgan's name in the Faith Promise Missions tier patron list. A couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, I, I, I deeply apologize, Morgan. Uh, 
I, I don't know what I can ever do to repay you for uh, this gross misdeed. I told her that I would make you say that she's beautiful and she's a great friend. Okay, Morgan, you're beautiful and you're a great friend to Sadie. There you go. And to the show. Um, and we and will you, never I, forget I mean, you again. <laughs> I'm, I mean, you are you are Sadie's actual BFF, so I assume... Well, as we all know, we're Polly BFFers. Polly BFFers. All yes. right. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. I would hate for that to go on... Um, accounted for. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's let's get into this. Let's let's do this. Uh, let's do so, Sadie, as we all know, queer people have always existed throughout history. Really, for the most part, they have not been treated particularly well. Um, so, would you like to start us off by giving us a history of pride? Sure. So. LGBT resistance and the fight for LGBT rights and acceptance and representation goes way back, way back before 1969. Like we talked about in an episode a year ago, one thing that really helped my deconstruction process was realizing that LGBT people have literally always existed. Including, I believe, King James, right? AKA the guy whose translation of the Bible is believed by the fundies to be the one true version of God's word in English. Yes, it's most likely that King James himself was in fact a bisexual or gay man. There are more examples than I could ever put into a podcast episode, but the Your Queer Story podcast, they aren't active anymore, but they're still, their episodes are still available. That podcast was hosted by Leaving Eden guest Evan Jones. They have tons of back catalog that you can go listen to to hear hundreds of LGBT stories from history. One fantastic example of queer representation in the 18th century that I wanted to talk about just because I'm interested in it um, is the story of the public universal friend. The friend was a non-binary Quaker preacher who used friend in place of any gendered pronouns, refused to be referred to by a gendered name or gendered pronouns. The friend story is incredibly interesting, and I've honestly just been looking for an excuse to bring it up on the podcast. I highly recommend you go check it out. That is really interesting. Just saying, so my hello, this is my friend, or how, how would that work in a sentence? I think it's hello, this is the friend. This is the friend. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. So I, I always want to use the them pronouns for them because it is very clear that they were non binary, but. They actually shoot. It's hard. Okay. So instead of they say, it's the, the friend, friend says. says. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So or friend says, hmm. but friend actually used friend as pronoun. I guess we've we've had people write to us and say that their use name as pronoun. You just got to remember that. That was yeah. easier for me than a term that is not a name. We should learn and use people's pronouns. Even if they use something that we're not used to. Like anything can be a name if you name somebody that or you name yourself that. That's true. Right? That's true. So. We're getting into the weeds here. (laughs) uh, Throughout history, how did LGBT people typically go about resisting persecution? So a lot of this was done by staying under the radar. I don't want to make it out that LGBT people were accepted because that's definitely not the correct term. Tolerated is a word that I came across a good bit in reading for this episode, and that seems more accurate than saying accepted. 
I think the vibe was more, well, as long as I don't have to see it, as long as I don't have to hear about this or acknowledge that it exists in any way, whatever, I'm not going to pay any attention. It wasn't until the late 1800s that the modern concept of homosexuality as a sin and its perversion and it's dangerous and it should be stopped came into play in the way that we see it today. Really? Yeah, it's not that people didn't think it was a sin. It's just that people were more willing to ignore it as long as they didn't have to see it. So it wasn't like seen as the the whole scourge on society as... No, it was seen... hmm. It was more seen as a sin the way that... Maybe the way that evangelicals now see drinking as a sin... Like, some people think it's a sin. Some people think it's a bad habit. Most evangelicals think that excessive drinking is a sin, but they don't talk about it. They don't preach about it from the pulpits very much. And if you are a drinker, they're not going to kick you out of their church for that. They just want you to not drink at church. And then it's just like the IFB and other specific religious groups who are like, no, drinking is a big sin. We're going to preach about it all the time. We're going to talk about how terrible it is. But then this got mainstream, basically. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. That yes. makes sense. So, it's, yeah, it's not that it was th- that being LGBT was accepted in any way. It was more just like... Well, if you're not going to bother me with it, then I'm just going to let you have your own little sin that I don't like, and we're not going to butt up against each other over this. Or even talk about it or acknowledge it. Right. And I think part of it was also the prudishness of the times. It was so uncomfortable and so taboo to talk about that they would rather just pretend that it didn't exist. So a lot of famous authors... I think Emily Dickinson is perhaps the most well-known for this, but there were many more, including Herman Melville, which I just found out about while reading for this episode. Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman, which I did know about before this, wrote passionate love letters to same-gender lovers, even some of them who later ended up in heterosexual marriages. Of course, people may be aware that Abraham Lincoln almost certainly had a years-long romantic affair with Joshua Speed. Homoromantic and homosexual relationships were very much a thing. There was even a president who was heavily rumored at the time to be gay. And now I can't remember who it was. It might have been James Buchanan. It was James Buchanan, who was Lincoln's direct predecessor. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was James Buchanan. And if you think about what you've heard about Buchanan, like people knew that he he was a quote unquote confirmed bachelor. People Mm. knew. But as long as he kept it on the down low, people were willing to kind of overlook this. So confirmed bachelor is like the term they would use. I think that is code for I think this person is gay. As long as as these relationships were kept quiet and out of the public eye, and as long as you were very discreet, discreet enough that people around you could fully pretend that you were quote unquote roommates or quote unquote best friends, society would tolerate this. You could think of this maybe as similar to how people were definitely aware that JFK was having extramarital affairs, but as long as the general public could brush it off and not have to think about it very much, they were more comfortable just ignoring the obvious than confronting it. I think a lot of listeners would also be aware of the concepts of Boston marriages, lavender marriages, and adult adoptions, all of which served at different times in history to allow a person some amount of freedom while keeping them socially respectable and bound to social customs and norms. 
So I found a quote from a novel by Margaret Jane Mussey Sweat. The novel is called Ethel's Love Life. It was written in 1859. And I think this sums up the attitude pretty well. She said that the world, quote, sees only the ordinary appearances of an intimate acquaintanceship and satisfies itself with a few commonplace comments thereon. But the joy and beauty of the tie remain in sweet concealment, silent and inexpressive when careless eyes are upon it, but leaping into the sunlight when free from cold and repelling influences. So the Yeah, so the attitude is... People are kind of happy to pretend that there's nothing going on there. People who really don't know, people who are very pious or oblivious, it'll go right over their heads and they will really will think, oh, they're just roommates. And the people who do figure it out will let their more pious or oblivious neighbors live in blissful ignorance as long as the LGBT people in this scenario don't step out of line. And then if they step out of line, it's like having dirt on somebody. They have something to get them on. I mean, send them to jail for. Ooh. So yeah. it's it's oppressive. It's it's extremely oppressive. So it was it's like an open secret among the cool people and it goes over everyone else's heads like how sex jokes on the Simpsons work. You, like you watch the Simpsons as an adult and you get you get the jokes. But if you're watching it at 6 years old, you have no idea why your parents are laughing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or like the laser envy joke in Toy Story. Yes, exactly like that. Okay. Like You don't get that as a kid, but the people in the know get it, but they're not going to tell you about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, another example, I think, of the, the consequences of being outed or the care that people would take not to be outed was Dr. James Barry. Dr. Barry was a British military doctor in the first half of the 19th century. He was the inspector general in charge of all military hospitals, which, according to Wikipedia, is the second highest medical ranking in the British Army. And he was an incredibly skilled physician. Dr. Barry was also either a trans man or an AFAB intersex person who chose to present as male. Not quite clear. Most likely, he was a trans man. Dr. Barry shaped his entire career, his entire life, around keeping himself safe and preventing himself from getting outed. For example, he made sure to enter the British military on the officer level because officers because officers didn't have to have a physical to get into the military, while enlisted people had to have physicals. He continually worked his entire career of 55 years to prevent anyone from finding out that he was not a cis man. He even tried to protect his information after his death by requesting that his body be buried in the bedsheets he died in and asking people not to do any examination on his body when he died. That final request was not honored, which is how it was discovered that Dr. Barry was in fact not a cis man. If James Barry had been outed, he would certainly have lost his career. He would have lost a great deal of his independence because there were laws at the time that prevented AFAB people from holding all the same freedoms that cis men did. There's every reason to think that he would also become a social outcast and lost his interpersonal relationships as well. So being outed would have been disastrous for him. There were a few people that suspected him of not being a cis man throughout his life. And there was one particular scandal where um, people accused 
him of having sex with a man. So then people thought that he was a gay cis man, which almost ended his career. And it it was, there were suspicions and he was able to function in the world as a trans man, but he had to spend so much time and energy not being outed publicly because it would have been so disastrous. I could look up dozens, if not hundreds, of stories about people who were trans, gender nonconforming, gay, lesbian, all sorts of other identities under the LGBTQ umbrella, and the ways that these people worked the system and the consequences that could have befallen them if they were outed or the consequences that they did face when they were outed. This wasn't a utopia where queer people were fine as long as they kept it low-key. Sex between two men at the time was illegal and could be punished by imprisonment, and actually laws to that effect were on the books in many states until like the 80s or even later. Dressing as a member of the quote-unquote opposite sex was also illegal in many states, so drag queens and trans people were equally at risk of arrest and jail time because of those laws, but so were regular old feminists and cis lesbians who just wanted to wear pants a few generations before it became acceptable. So thank you, Amelia Bloomer and Marlene Dietrich, among others, for the freedom to walk down the street in jeans. That's not even considering the ever-present threat of violence against against queer people. The story of Matthew Shepard is a modern occurrence of this just unspeakable violence, but violence was always a threat to queer people in the past. It, so it, I don't want to make it out like it was, well, be quiet and socially acceptable and we will accept you. It was, be quiet and socially acceptable and don't get outed or we might put you in jail or kill you. Yeah. But if you can be quiet enough, feel like we probably won't murder you. That was the vibe. So queer people resorted to some really fascinating and creative means to play by those rules because there was really no avenue for liberation. And they wanted to just have the happiest life that they could at the time that they lived in. I've already mentioned Boston marriages, which are always interesting. I will never be mad if somebody wants to talk about Boston marriages. It's one of my favorite topics. Another absolute favorite queer history tidbit of mine is Polari, which is the 1960s gay code by which gay men and clubs were able to communicate in code and find each other. That's where the phrase friend of Dorothy to refer to a gay man or a member of the LGBT community comes from. Somebody in a bar once asked me if I was a friend of Dorothy and I didn't have the slightest idea what he was talking about. Well, that's exactly what it's for. Yeah, I was like, I don't know her. Uh, Sorry, (laughs) I'm not familiar. (laughs) Because that person has no clue if you are the kind of straight guy who, if they hit on you, is going to be like, oh, thanks for the compliment, but no thanks. Or the kind of straight guy who is going to punch them in the face. Yeah, I've been hit on by gay men at bars before, and I have never punched anyone in the face. Uh, can I have a cookie? It, I, I, yeah, <laughs> sure. I will. Yes, I will give you a cookie for be doing the bare minimum of not inflicting violence on other people. Bare minimum. All right. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like the gay yeah. man who hit on you at the bar probably has been punched in the face. And anytime he hits on a guy, he runs a small risk of being punched in the face. Now, in Portland, that's a smaller risk than it would be in other areas. But there is still a risk pretty much any time. You know, if he needs to use a code that reduces the risk of him being punched in the face because he has no way of knowing that you are absolutely not a face puncher, eh, that's okay. 
And I mean, we may make a joke or something here and there, but uh, there are many states in this country, in the United States, in which gay panic or trans panic is a legitimate legal defense. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you uh, if you go to jail for assault or murder, uh, then you can say gay panic or trans panic and that is like a legitimate defense that you can use i believe that a nationwide ban was introduced several years ago in congress but it didn't get passed by congress because reasons i guess i don't know they (sighs) didn't want to exactly yeah so so gay codes are just one of many ways that queer people have tried to protect themselves and to insulate their lives not from straight people as a whole, but from people who are more likely than others to want to harm them. So gay rights is about people not having to do that. It's about people not having to go through all of those steps to protect themselves. And I think this is this is an important deconstruction point because we were all told so much stuff about, quote unquote, the gay agenda let me tell you, the the gay agenda is is being able to exist in safety. That is what it is. <laughs> also, like the face punching thing. Like, imagine if every woman who didn't want to be hit on could uh, legally punch in the face any man who hit hit on them. Ooh. That, like, uh, imagine that. You know, would you, you ever were, hit on anybody, testing- or would you come up with codes? That's the question, right? <laughs> that makes that totally makes sense. Can I buy you a drink? Oh, no, I just got hit in the face. Like, yeah. Um, no, like, seriously, though, people, um, there is, uh, I, I just need to say this real quick. There is an election in five months and make sure that you vote for uh, representatives who will support legislation to ban gay panic or trans panic nationwide uh, because you should. And that would be a good thing to do. So that is a very brief overview of the last couple centuries, bringing us up to the 20th century. By the 20th century, there were spaces that were, okay, if not exclusively queer spaces, spaces that were explicitly and openly accepting of LGBT people. Drag shows and drag balls in New York were a huge step in gay nightlife. Another extremely interesting thing to research These were places where specifically gay men and trans women had a safe space, at least within the confines of this one event. They could freely express themselves, even though gay sex, drag, or presenting as a gender that wasn't assigned to you at birth was still a crime outside these spaces. And even though men in drag and trans women would frequently be arrested leaving the event if they didn't change clothes before they left which is awful. I do want to point out that this is one reason not to be a turf. Gender identity isn't the same thing as sexual orientation. And we all know that those two things are separate but related concepts. But at this time, at the time when the LGBT community was becoming what it is now, trans people and gay and lesbian people shared the same safe space because it was just about the only safe space. And attacks on one of these groups was were almost always an attack on the others as well. So the rights of gay men and of lesbian women and of trans and non-binary people 
have historically been tied up together as one thing. So even though we understand now that gender identity and sexual orientation are different things, this is one good reason why I don't mess with the drop the T bullshit like saying that trans people's rights are somehow different from gay and lesbian and bisexual people's rights or that these should be seen as two completely different groups. So if you're an ally listening to this, if you only hear one thing from this episode, I want to repeat that the the issue in all of this was that queer people needed cis het society's approval in order to live. And there was an inherent power differential between cis het society and queer people. If you're a straight ally listening to this, you do not need society's approval or a vote or a Supreme Court case to go the way that you want it to go <laughs> to get health care, to get married, to have children, to talk about your romantic life or your romantic partner, or to wear clothes that express your gender. And that's the difference. If you are an ally listening to this, You don't have to get permission for those things, and you never have to wonder if your right to do them will be taken away. You can take those basic human rights for granted. And I beg you to hear me on this. The gay rights movement isn't about changing your personal feelings or forcing your church to have a gay pastor or making your children gay. It's about LGBT people having the same rights that you do, those basic rights that I just listed. So that was, that can be my, um, that can be my soapbox for the episode. Let's move on to the 1950s and 1960s. Let's be real. This whole episode is your soapbox. (laughs) This whole month is my soapbox. Hey, but we're here for it. We like it. (laughs) You know what? You know what? That's, that's okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with it. (laughs) Well, thank you for your, thank you for your approval. Says Hetman. Yay. (laughs) You're welcome. Can I have another cookie? By the 1950s and 60s, we get the evolution of the gay bar as a thing or an thing, if you're Gavi. Mm -hmm. The problem was that being gay or at least participating in gay sex was still illegal in every state except for Illinois. Of course, that includes New York. Police would raid bars in New York City that were rumored to be gay hangouts looking for any evidence of gay activities arrest people, even shut down establishments that served or employed queer people. So the mafia stepped in. The mafia would run the gay bar, make the profit, pay off police to raid them less or not raid them at all or give them a heads up before they raided them. And then the mafia would use the information that they collected about the customers of the gay bar to blackmail closeted queer people. (sighs) There were still police raids. Which is what happened in the early morning hours of June 28th, 1969 at the Stonewall Inn. The Stonewall Inn is one of these aforementioned uh, queer hangout spots, I take it. Yeah, it was a major gay bar in New York City. So the cops raided it. They arrested the employees and they arrested all of the people who they perceived to be cross-dressers. And we don't know. So, and, and that included butch lesbian people. That included trans women. That also included gay men in drag. There were, they could interpret these laws about dressing in a way that doesn't, dressing in a way that differs from the gender that you were assigned. They can interpret those laws very loosely and use it to kind of arrest anybody that they think is gay at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's basically just like, uh, 
It's all, it's it's like the same sort of thing that they would do with with stop and frisk, where they would just yes, say, exactly. "Oh, this this guy looks suspicious. Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's harass him and see if he's got any drugs on him." And of course, I want to point out that this is another good reason not to be a f- turf, because laws like this that are meant to harm trans women will often take collateral damage in cis women in general. Any law that is made specifically to target trans women is going to also hurt cis women, uh, which leads me to think that all women are in it together and that we should not be TERFs and should stick together instead. Because honestly, we all have very similar struggles, almost like trans women are real women. Okay. Because they are. Who'd have thunk? (laughs) Anyway, the, the cops raided it. They arrested all these people. And we don't know exactly what happened next, but someone started throwing things at the cops. Remember, these people had been raided by police multiple times in the one safe haven that they had from the outside world, and they were f***ing sick of it. Popular culture tends to attribute the first brick being thrown to Marsha P. Johnson, who was an important historical figure and an important part of the story of Stonewall, but she said that she didn't arrive at the Stonewall Inn that night until the uprising had already started. So we don't think it w- was probably not her. She was a f- she was very important historically. Probably not her who threw the first brick, but somebody did, and the crowd was tired of being second class citizens. They were tired of not having basic human rights. And the crowd turned on the police who had raided the bar, throwing things, rioting, and eventually barricading the police inside the building. Over the next few nights, protests were held nightly at the Stonewall Inn, and police were called out to disperse the crowds, leading to people being beaten and tear-gassed. Yeah, God. Now, these were tumultuous times already. 1969 was the height of the Vietnam War, height of... Uh, counterculture civil rights tensions women's lib movement also going on a very historically significant year for uh for for protest movements and this wasn't the first time that lgbt people had taken a stand and demanded the same rights as other people of course it certainly wasn't the last time either but having seen the vietnam war protests and women's lib protests and civil rights protests may have inspired this to be a bigger turning point in the gay rights movement. And I'm sure that like a lot of these people were also involved in those other movements and Mm -hmm. they'd faced, yeah. And they'd faced like police brutality as a consequence of that, I guess on top of the harassment that they've faced for hanging out at Stonewall, they knew what to expect. They knew what they were getting into. Right. And much like these other movements that we've mentioned, A lot of LGBT activists were arrested in these bar raids and at different protests and actions that they attended multiple times, even dozens of times. There had been previous gay rights marches to before the Stonewall uprising. These marches had been organized by activists who believed that the right way to do this was to show, oh, see, we can be gay and be fully socially acceptable. So they would, the organizers would have all the men in these marches wear suits 
in ties. All the women wear dresses and they would march in silence. It was very, um, very solemn and kind of hushed vibe. So the turning point at Stonewall, it isn't that it went from no gay rights action to gay rights action. What it, it went from this very respectable, please give us some rights kind of vibe to a we exist, we are here, we will not be silenced, we will not be denied rights any longer vibe. This is also where the term gay pride first pops up. Yeah, and so over the next decade, um, at least in popular culture, that's especially when you started to see openly gay or bisexual public figures and like celebrities in the mainstream. So I've I've included quite a few articles if it's too many articles for the show notes, I'll make a source post on Patreon and I'll post about that on social media so you see it. But there, are, I've, I've included a lot of supplemental reading that you can read about the origin of the term pride. Uh, this is the turning point in thought that makes being a part of the LGBT community something that a person could be proud of. So the next summer, 1970, Chicago, New York, and LA held the first Pride Parades. It wasn't quite the celebratory atmosphere we see today. It was more of a protest atmosphere. It was much bolder and much louder than these previous parades. The March in LA was the first to actually get a permit. Clearly, this is a permit for a parade supporting LGBT rights. Wow. Yeah, so it, I guess it's really because that was uh, three cities, New York, Chicago, and L.A., and now it's in like every city. Everywhere. <laughs> 50 years later. Wow. So as time has go- gone on, there has been a lot of progress made on LGBT rights uh, for now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. And it's turned into something that companies sponsor, a, a parade, a celebration with dancing and music. It's much more, look how far we've come as a society and here's the next step. I want to acknowledge that there is a conversation to be had about police at Pride. There's a different conversation to be had about corporations sponsoring Pride and making Pride merch. I am aware that there are ethical concerns with both of those things. I'm doing a celebration episode today, and I also don't feel right speaking for the entire gay community with my opinions on those things, so I'm not going to dig into them super deep, but I wanted to make a disclaimer before somebody goes after me on Twitter. Like, I understand that there are ethical concerns in both of those areas, but I'm saving my energy for fighting homophobes and not fighting you on Twitter about my specific opinions on those two things. Yeah. Sadie and I both think that it is absolutely two-faced for a corporation to try to use pride to sell products and then to turn around and donate money to political candidates who want to yeah take LGBT people's rights away. Or make it easier for private companies to discriminate against them and not face legal challenges or wrongful termination lawsuits, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awful. I will be loud and clear on my opinion on that one. Personally, I've said before, I enjoy all the rainbow logos for Pride. Like when a company will do a rainbow version of their logo, we do that um, with our like social profile pictures and I think we did last year we updated our image on Apple too, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Well, it, it's, we've done it again this year. It's yeah, we, yeah. And we do it because I like it. If you don't like it, that's okay. I'm not going to fight you over that. I, I do think that it's unethical to do that without backing it up with action and also, you know, not actively harming LGBT people. 
Yeah, you know, I also like doing it because it pisses people off that really that are, if you're like homophobic right. and you see like a, a rainbow logo, it, it makes you mad. <laughs> so that's another reason why we should do if it. If you see it on your Xbox, <laughs> yeah, if you see it on your Xbox Live and it, it, they start recommending you uh, LGBT uh, themed movies, movies on your Netflix, and it Terrible. makes you mad. Oh no, who who to? <laughs> Oh man, Netflix sometimes recommends me Mel Gibson movies. Like (laughs) (laughs) that seems way more offensive. You'll survive, man. Oh man. Uh, no, but th- is, in, in all honesty, Sadie, thank you for the excellent history lesson. That was deeply enlightening. Well, thank you. And it's amazing to see how things have evolved uh, over years and years and years. And it's also, we also have to have, have a long way to go. I, I just, I loved researching for this. Uh, I got to find out about a couple of authors who were probably gay that I didn't know about. And like I said, I've been looking for an excuse to talk about the Public Universal Friend on this podcast for months, ever since I found out about the friend. So I was extremely excited to do that. I think that that knowing a little bit of queer history, and again, this is just the tiniest tip of the iceberg on the history of all this, but learning this really helped my deconstruction process in a lot of ways. So I hope it was helpful for listeners too. What do you say we take a break for the offering and when we come back, we can talk about what pride parades are like now and what a person would need to know if they wanted to go attend one in person. All right, let's do it. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, we are back from our break, and Sadie. Yes, I have something that I want to admit. So I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. So I need to admit something to you, and that is, I have never been to a pride parade. 
so why not, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, mm. So, for like, I'm not a huge fan of parades to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Like, nothing against pride. I just don't really, like, if I see that there's going to be a parade somewhere, I'm not, like, that's not really something that I'm just going to go out of my way to go to. So, knowing you, that absolutely tracks... Like, that makes so much sense, and it probably makes similar amounts of sense that I am a big parade person. Mm. Um, I'm like, that. I'm, I'm very much a parade person. But you might enjoy, if I were going to recommend a pride event for you to go to, I'd probably send you to the festival down at the waterfront. It's a real good vibe down there. I bet it is, you know, in in June, Portland waterfront in June is usually pretty nice. I mean, like, I, I've I've lived in Portland most of my life but mostly on the east side of the river. And the Pride Parade is usually downtown, which is on the west side of the river, at least until I moved across the river. Uh, If I hear that there's going to be a march or a parade somewhere, downtown especially, I'm going to avoid going downtown because I know that the traffic is going to be awful and you're not going to be able to park anywhere. That is that is also pretty valid. Um, so where we used to work when we worked together is on the other side of the river from where we both live now. It's on the east side and we both live on the west side now. I once got stuck on the other side of the river because I was working on a Saturday and I didn't leave in time to beat the Rose Parade. Uh, mm. It took me like three hours to walk home because I had to walk all the way around the parade route because the buses stopped running. Oh god! And like yeah. Uber prices were like, <laughs> like forty seven dollars a mile, and I wasn't gonna do that, so I just walked home for like three hours. No, well, that's the thing. Like in June, because because Pride is in June. June is also the Rose Festival here. So when like when I was in high school and middle school, they'd give us the afternoon off to go to the parade. But like we'd never do that. We like instead we just take the afternoon off and like go get pizza or something or like Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of reasons that someone might not have been to Pride in general. I think sometimes also cis straight people can feel like it's not for them or feel like they might be out of place. And I'm going to address that a little bit further down in this episode. Well, that that's also the thing. Because like, so there's a Jewish org that I regularly volunteer for. Um, and they invited people to march in the parade. And they're just like, yeah, we're, we're all going to go, like everybody. And I'm like, my, my take on that was like, if I'd, I'd go to the parade if people I wanted, if, if people wanted to go to the parade to watch it, but I would not march in it because I feel like that's somebody else's space, uh, like for them to show off. It's not for me to show, you know, like it, yeah. it's not about me. <clears throat> and, and, I I would agree. I get the so on one hand, if you're if you're marching with your volunteer organization, the message is like we're not an organization made up of all LGBT people. We're an organization we all support LGBT people. So yeah. it's not always inappropriate or wrong for a non-LGBT person to march in a pride parade it very much depends on what space you're taking up there but i can also see like why that would be an ethical question for you i mean i just i just rather not so i'm gonna i'm gonna give a rundown as well of like what is generally appropriate behavior for a cishet person if they want to do pride related activities all right so we're talking about marching or are we talking about attending 
Uh, I'm going to get into I'm going to kind of run down all of it. Oh, okay. But you also brought up something that I was going to say, which is that pride is really more of a do it with friends activity. Fun. Kind of no matter what it what. Yeah. So if you don't have somebody who's like, hey, we're the five of us are going to a pride parade. Do you want to come? I would see you being much more likely to do that. Yeah, like if I got invited to go with a bunch of people that I would probably go to it. Like especially if it was like the festival. Yeah. I'd go to that. But if it's just like, oh, there's the Pride Parade downtown, I'm not really going to go to that cuz that like parade like there, you know. I'm I'm going to take Chucky like, down to the parade this year with Jonathan and I'm hoping that I'm hoping that she will be chill enough to stop by the festival too cuz it's a fun time. So I want to focus, I'm going to focus this second half of the episode on deconstructors who might just have anxiety about going to a pride parade because they don't know what it's going to be like. And they, they may have, they may feel like they don't belong or worry that they won't. As I've said before, I don't cope well with not having advance notice for things. If I'm going to a new restaurant, I have to I pull up the menu online. I see what I want to order before I ever leave the house. That's just the kind really? of person that I am. Yeah. So you're not going to go like you're not going to go to a restaurant somewhere and say, oh, what's the special? OK, that sounds good. Like, no, almost you, never. N- never. Wow. So as far as what a pride parade is actually like, if you've ever been to a daytime Mardi Gras parade, pride is kind of like that. It's different in every city. It's going to be a little wilder than the Thanksgiving Day parade that my dad, bless his heart, always dragged my family to at like 5 a.m. on Thanksgiving. We always did the Thanksgiving parades. I always had a great time once we got there. Did not enjoy leaving the house that early. Wait, so you get the... So Thanksgiving, like, was that to like get a spot? Yeah. For the parade? Yeah. And it's like, it's Thanksgiving so in the Midwest, so it's cold. So we'd all be out there with like hot chocolate at like like before dawn on Thanksgiving morning, waiting for the St. Louis, Missouri Thanksgiving Day Parade. Is the St. Louis, Missouri Thanksgiving Day Parade really that hype though? No. Like No, it's like three balloons and a high school marching band. It's good memories though. Uh my dad was very much a, a parade person. Ew. Yeah, no. No, thank you. Bless his memory, but no. (laughs) (laughs) So the the parade part is going to be much like any other parade, just with a lot more rainbows and drag queens and a little more skin showing on the marchers. Sure. You'll have... So as far as who might be marching, you'll have delegations from companies, possibly uh, my husband's company almost always sends a, a group of marchers to the Pride Parade in Portland. Uh, local LGBT groups. So in Portland, we have a gay men's choir. We have a lesbian choir. There's a trans choir in Portland. There's a group of LGBT affirming clergy that often march in the parade. We also have a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, who are drag queens dressed as nuns, and I love them. That sounds like a good time. It is. They'll come back in a few minutes. They often wear roller skates, which is also fun. You also might see things that you'd see in a regular parade, like a 4th of July parade, like um, stilt walkers, fire trucks, marching bands. You also, so to be fair, you're probably going to see a lot of dancers in underwear and glitter. But unless you're on Folsom Street in San Francisco or at an adults-only pride event, your kids will be fine. Like, they really will. Some pride festivals are a little bit more kink-friendly, where... 
you might see somebody in a puppy play outfit with a leash or a dominatrix with a whip. But again, unless you're at an adults-only event, if you're worried about your kids, really just saying, oh, they're playing pretend should be enough to see to explain anything that you're going to see at street level. So what was the first pride event or pride parade that you ever went to? And how did you feel about going to it? I think it was 2017. That seems right. Mm. And I feel like I had an easy out for going to Pride because the company that I worked for at the time had a booth at the festival down at the waterfront. And they incentivized us to work the booth at the festival. They gave us like, I think they gave us like a couple extra PTO hours or something if we volunteered to work the booth. And then they paid us for the time that we worked. So I already had coworkers who were going because there were like several of us who all signed up to work the booth on the same day. So some of us were like just getting off of our shift and going to do the parade before going home. And then others of us were about to go on shift at the booth. So we were going to see the parade and then go to the ship. So it was like that. And I think that having people to go with, it was a lot easier than trying to get up the gumption to find a group of friends and go. I think it would have been harder for me if I had to self-motivate to go. By this time, you were well out of the IFB and you were already like somewhat immersed in the LGBT community here in Portland. Yeah, the idea of going to a pride parade was still a big mental hurdle. I had heard so many sermons about like how debauched and terrible a pride parade is and how LGBTQ people hate God and want to destroy every social norm. So all of that was still kind of dinking around in my head at this time. So what were you expecting to see based on what you'd heard from the pulpit in the IFB? So that's a really funny thing, because what I was expecting to see was pretty much what I saw. The IFB's description wasn't too far off. The thing Hmm. that was different was my perception of what they told me that I would see. And I want to dig into that a little bit because it's such a funny, like, interesting concept. So what I was told I would see was people dressed, quote unquote, immodestly, people dancing and celebrating their LGBTQ identities. I was told that there would be music and glitter and rainbow flags and people in drag. And all of that is pretty much what I saw. It's just that my perspective was different because seeing this with my own eyes, it didn't seem evil. It didn't seem wrong or unacceptable. It just seemed joyful. Yeah. I, I I'm st- I mean I'm still surprised they didn't make anything up. The, the thing you know. is that they didn't need to, because looking through IFB eyes, what I just described is so horrific and so shocking. They see the same thing and they just use inflammatory language to make it seem as bad as possible for the audience in the IFB church. Oh. I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I'm surprised that they didn't just like take this opportunity and go all out with it. For the IFB, though, this is all out. Like, they hate gay Ugh. people so bad. Like, the only accusation I can think of that they could have made up but didn't would be saying, oh, there's public drug orgies or something. But to them, seeing two men hold hands or kiss is so. It's barely less shocking than that. Really? Yeah. So, like, the IFB... So, okay. So, what we see through the eyes of a normal person is, oh, here's a person dancing on a float. They're wearing, like, 
a Speedo or briefs and knee-high boots and fishnets, and they have glitter all over the top half of their body and a fun hat on, and they're dancing to Beyonce. Seems fun. Um, a good time. Yeah, it's, it's like, cool, they're dancing. They look like they're having a fantastic time on this pride float. In the IFB language, and I'm going to CW this because this is probably going to get gross uh, when I go into like this IFB headspace. Um, so just skip like 30 seconds if you need to not hear homophobia in this episode. But in the IFB headspace, they would say something like, well, there's this person dancing on the top of the float and you can't even tell if they're a man or a woman because they're dressed so immodestly and who knows what they've done to mutilate their body to look the way that they do. They're barely wearing any clothes at all. They're only covering the smallest amount of their body with this skimpy, tiny little Speedo or something and they're cross-dressed because they're wearing fishnets and thigh-high boots They've just dumped glitter all over the top of their nude body and they're gyrating obscenely to some kind of demonic rock and roll. So that's the same scene. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just described two different ways. I guess this is one of those different worlds thing. I get like trying to get my mind into the headspace. I'm still not always the best at that. Sometimes I I do it well and I uh, freak you out a bit. But like, I mean, I don't know. My, like, my dad went to medical school in San Francisco in the 1980s, and he told me about what it was like walking through the Castro in those days. And I guess in the IFB, being gay and not even trying to hide it would have been a shocking level of depravity. Yeah, huh. just literal pearl clutching over an LGBT person <laughs> showing their face in public and identifying themselves as an LGBT person and dancing in a perfectly decent, if somewhat skimpy outfit. <laughs> it's oh no, it's oh no, we're going to yeah. use inflammatory, homophobic, transphobic language to describe this and make it seem like it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, but what do they say is going to happen to you if you see it? Is it going to... Like so, if you are if you are an adult and you are right with God, it's probably going to make you vomit in the street. If you are an impressionable person, so either you're not very spiritually developed or you're a child, it's going Satan is going to get into your heart from that and turn you gay. Wow. Okay. That's yep. yeah. Mm. So I also want to talk about the Pride Festival in Portland. I think it's almost as big a deal as the parade itself. And it's down at the waterfront, which is like a public outdoors event event space. It's a lot like a county fair if you've been to something like that, but cooler. So at the festival downtown, there would be booths with sponsors Uh, food trucks or food booths. And then in Portland, we have a main stage with music acts, the drag performances, that kind of thing. It's Mm. hard for me to guess what kind of vendors they might have at your local Pride Festival. Here we have corporate sponsors giving out freebies. It's literally the same stuff that you would get at a fair, like coasters, pins, buttons, except for it's rainbow. So that might be your thing. It might not be. There's also the drag nuns walking around giving out condoms with cute packaging, Once again, don't worry about your children too much. Nobody in their right mind is going to hand a condom to a five-year-old. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned about that. Yeah. I mean, 
Look, if you take kids anywhere that they can get greasy food, like fried foods from a food truck, they're like they'll have a good time. <laughs> it's That's, true. This is true, and yeah. I'm, def- I'm definitely going to take Chuck down to some parts of Pride this year. I'm not sure how much tolerance she'll have for being out in the sun, depending on how hot it is. But I think I can at least tote her down there for the parade. Yeah, she might get a little grumpy face on. Um. <laughs> well, it's, it's Chuck. She has yeah. a grumpy face at a significant part of the time. Resting grumpy face. That's the... <laughs> Gets that from her mama. Uh, no, are, are, are you going to uh, uh, get her like rainbow socks, rainbow hat, Definitely. rainbow shirt? That, yeah, Definitely. okay. Definitely. Okay, okay. I, I, I see where you're going. Yeah. Uh, it, elephant ears, is is that uh, happening? Yeah. Is, yeah, is yeah. she old enough to eat elephant ears? Yeah, she is old enough to eat anything, really. It's just some things I have to chop up or modify for her or help her take small bites. Like grapes, I have to quarter because it's less risk that way. She's definitely old enough to have... Uh, a little sugar is a treat, and she's definitely old enough to witness happy LGBT, LGBT people having a good time. So a common thing you might see at Pride is face painting. And I bring this up because it's kind of a cute story around it. My first Pride festival, I was on my way to work my shift at the booth where that, my, that was had by the company that I worked for. And on my way there... There was a glitter face painting booth, so I got a big sparkly heart on my face and like bisexual pride flag colors, and that's a really fun memory. And actually, I walked around with my glitter heart kind of smudged the whole day because right next to the glitter face painting booth, there was a booth of clergy members just representing like, hey, we're here, we're LGBT affirming, we think that God loves you just the way you are without you having to change anything about yourself And I talked to someone at that booth, and of course I cried because I was still pretty early deconstruction, and that was a big thing for me. And then I got a hug from that person, and then my glitter heart got kind of smudgy, but it was definitely worth it. Yeah, I suppose that there weren't any uh, IFBers in that. uh, Yeah, not their scene. No, wouldn't think so. (laughs) And it, it should be if you see something like that at your local pride. We would hope that it would be clergy people who are trauma-informed and would understand if you are just not in the headspace to engage with religion at all at a Pride Festival. I'm sure they get like the crying and the hugging. Like that, that's got to be a, a regular occurrence for them. Oh, yeah. You know? I yeah. mean, <laughs> it was happening all around me when I was there. But I don't want people to feel like they are obligated to engage. Like, I, I understand there are plenty of reasons that a person just might not want to engage with that even in a positive way and that's okay speaking of religious people at pride um this brings me to something is it likely that you will see people protesting pride like fundies or somebody showing up like you know westboro baptist those types so i'm sure it's more common in some cities than others westboro baptist church has protested some some LGBT events, obviously, a lot of them. I googled and it looks like there were significant religious protests of Pride in Oregon last year, notably in Kaiser, Oregon, where Pride celebrators surrounded religious protesters and walked them back to their van before they, and this is a quote from the article, <laughs> quote, helped them take their signs apart. 
Well, that was very nice of the people celebrating Pride. Um, uh, so helpful. <laughs> I've lived in Salem, Oregon. So Kaiser is like 10 minutes north of Salem. It's like the difference between Portland and like Beaverton. Right. You know, like it's like just right there. Like, so I've lived in Salem and I worked in Kaiser. I know the place well. It does not at all surprise me that some people would have the nerve to show up to pride and protest and even think that they might like people that live there might like have a good reception if they did that and not be escorted out by the people that they were protesting by the world's politest mob. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of how I would, how I would describe their escort out based on the articles that I read. The woke mob helped them take their signs apart. (laughs) Uh, but I'm not being sarcastic. They were they were apparently incredibly nice and gentle in the process of forcing these people out. <laughs> I love it. I I love it. It's it's uh, yeah. You know you know how there's a stereotype of like Southern women can be incredibly mean and incredibly polite at the same time. Oh, absolutely. The only people who do that better are the gays. And as somebody who is both, I feel qualified to make that claim. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it, man. Uh, I just, I got so much joy out of that quote. Helped them take their signs apart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you sure that's what you meant to say? Are you sure that's what you meant to write on there? Here, uh, I, I think you have a typo. I think you you said hate instead of love. Here, let me fix that for you. Or maybe you'll just want to put the whole thing down. Um, it, that's, it, it, the, that's the vibe mistake. I got from the article. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's never happened in Portland. Or do you know if that's happened in Portland? So the problem is that when you Google anything related to like Portland Pride protest, and I tried like several different permutations of that in the Google machine, the problem is that all you get is articles about the Proud Boys. So I couldn't find out quickly if there were religious protesters at the Pride Festival, which is a completely different thing. Considering that there is a religious group down by the Max Hub downtown fairly often, I would not at all be surprised if there is some protest of Pride in Portland. I don't recall seeing anything, but now I'm like now I'm not trusting my memory on whether there were protesters or not like any of the times that I've been in the area. Well, the Proud Boys, that's a that's a pride parade. That's the straight pride parade, right? Uh. <laughs> Do you remember somebody tried to have a straight did, did you hear about this when somebody yes, was I like absolutely I'm, gonna, did. I'm gonna have a straight pride parade and it was like It was exactly what you would expect. That's I, I mean, I think that's just like hilarious and cringe and just like so, like it's such a massive like self own. Like and they they had a, and it was a disaster. It like and it was not well organized. It was a disaster, and people <laughs> like you, you know what I'm saying. Like it, 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 like I mean that's just it's it's such an indictment of yourself. Like absolutely unintentionally, and that's the kind of stuff I live. No, I've I'm, I've never. Um, all I want to say is that I fully assume that would march in a sta- in a straight pride parade. Yeah, I'll bleep that name, but everybody in the know knows who we're talking about. People know who I'm talking about. When we bleep a name, people know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, From, yeah. uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I've never I've never been to Pride, but I did attend an Ariana Grande concert that was in June, and that's basically the same thing. And there were religious protesters at that, so I can only assume that there were uh, religious protesters at Pride. <laughs> there were protesters at the Kiss concert that I went to at the Moda Center. Yeah. Um, I was actually really bummed. So our entry door was around the corner from where the protesters were. And I was pretty bummed out about that because I wanted to talk to them because I thought it would be funny. I don't know. Maybe they're afraid to protest pride. Like maybe they're afraid, you, you know, the infectious music and the joyfulness and they'll like, you know, you know how Dinah caught a gay demon in China? Yes. Maybe they're afraid that they'll catch the gay demon at pride and then they'll have to have an exorcism and put the demon into like a, a, a demon ring. Yeah. I mean, to be, to be honest, the IFB people that I know, I feel like they would have a bunch of rules about who can go protest pride. They would be vetting people. So they would make sure they send out their strongest spiritual warriors who aren't going to be tempted by the devil's tricks. By the devil's tricks, I mean the fact that this actually looks like a super fun time. So if what if you were like one of the people like, I want to go protest this, and they're like, uh, we don't think you're up to it. What what are, are what what are they saying about you? Are they like So I I, hmm. I was not thank goodness. It's one less thing I have to repent for. But I <laughs> my church didn't protest pride not that I'm aware of. Um but I asked to do like tough spiritual tasks like that growing up. And I don't remember what specifically I was trying to do. I think, okay, so I'm pulling this out of the depths of my memory. This may not be completely accurate. Please don't take my word as 100% accurate on this story. I think what I was trying to do was we had met a man out soul winning who we suspected of being demon possessed. And the church was going to send people to his house to try to kick the demons out and convert him. And I was trying, I was the person who had met him out soul winning and made the call that he was demon possessed. So what, what specifically about this man made you think that he was demon possessed? Now, so. (laughs) This is like, this was years ago. This is pre-deconstruction. So. Yeah, yeah, I would have been like 15, 16 at the time. It's fine if it's problematic, Sadie. You're you're in a safe space here. Um. It's actually not super problematic because I thought I saw his eyes glowing. In retrospect, it was probably a cat in the house because that makes more sense. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought I saw his eyes glowing and I also thought he spoke in like, he spoke in a really low tone, like, you know, like a scary movie tone. And looking back in retrospect, he was probably doing that to freak out the church girls and make them go away. (laughs) But I thought those were pretty good signs. And he also had like super long hair. So I I thought those were pretty good signs that he was demon possessed. I So I know that the part of the story that I know is correct is that I met this man out soul winning and, and assumed he was demon possessed. I think the big spiritual mission that I was trying to volunteer for was going back to his house to try to kick the demons out and convert him. Because much like Bar- Bob Larson's daughters, I thought I was a 16-year-old exorcist, um, even though I never got a chance to you know test that theory in real life. Again, thank goodness. Oh, my God. But if I'm remembering the whole story correctly, I wanted to be the one who went to go do this exorcism 
and they wouldn't let me because they felt like I wasn't spiritually advanced enough and didn't know my Bible well enough. And I was extremely offended by that. So who'd they send instead? I don't remember if they ever sent anybody or if they kind of blew off my demon diagnosis. I don't remember the resolution to that story. That is an incredible story. Man, we gotta we gotta like ask your mom about that or something. See if she I don't she even remember. Um or your brothers maybe. My youth pastor's daughters might remember because it was one of them who was with me when it happened. When, I mean, what, it, I mean, when I diagnosed this man as being demon possessed. <laughs> yeah. So I, I yeah. could, I could ask, I could reach out to my youth pastor's daughters. No, I, I do think though that there's something maybe a little bit suspicious about being like, I am the strongest spiritual warrior and I could never be tempted by the demon of homosexuality ever in my life at all. Oh, you mean, you yeah. send me to pride. <laughs> <laughs> people people like extremely strong spiritual warriors like dave hiles right like Ooh. expert soul winners leader, leaders in the community people who would never be tempted to post homoerotic ads in swinger magazines that kind of people yeah absolutely right? okay <laughs> <laughs> so well. i feel like this is a good place to remind people that if you do attend Pride, sorry, I have to go back to say uh, Dave Hiles, absolute trash bisexual representation. Not what I meant when I said represent bisexual people <laughs> in oh, the media. God. Man. So uh, I feel like <laughs> I tell you, man, bi people, we have some of the best people in the world and some of the worst people in the world on like team bisexual. It's yeah. rough. It's rough. <laughs> the, the Jews, who do we have? We have. Uh, we have a lot of amazing people. On one hand, we have Albert Einstein. On the other hand, we have Harvey Weinstein. Also Bernie Madoff, right? Yeah, Ber- Bernie Madoff, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, uh, those you, guys, you uh, get it. We, uh, I get it. We also have like Paul Newman. You know, I don't know. Did you know he was Jewish? A lot of people didn't know no, he I was didn't. Jewish. Very cool. I mean, we like everybody in the we have all three Heim sisters. We have Adam Sand. Like we have great people. We also have some real <laughs> bags, man. We like we do. See, we like, really do. Sometimes I feel yeah. like like the Jewish experience and the bisexual experience have a lot of overlap, and maybe that's why we're such good friends. Well, I'm glad that you said that because I'm going to come back to something slightly related to that, maybe a little bit later in this okay. episode. So. But I do I do want to note, though, as far as protesters at Pride and people at Pride, if you attend Pride, and especially if you're ex-fundy, ex-evangelical, you are not obligated to engage with people like that. Don't ruin your day to go yell at a homophobe. Like, go enjoy Pride and have fun. It is not your job to yell at every homophobe in the world. This is something I deal with outside of Pride, just seeing soul winners or straight preachers out. And I feel really guilty that I didn't go try to argue with them. Like, I feel guilty that I didn't use the knowledge of their tactics that I have to try to convince them of the error of their ways. This is one of those things. If you can safely engage with those people and you want to, I'm not going to tell you not to. But I just want to make sure that you know that you do not have to. You do not have to try to save people from toxic religion. You've already saved yourself, and that is enough. And if engaging with people like that at Pride is going to ruin your day, please don't do it. Just have have a good time. You you deserve to just 
rest and have a good time. So I, mm. I felt like I needed to say that for all of all of my deconstruction buddies out there. Do you think that, like, say you're an IFB type, you go to Pride to protest, you've got your signs out saying uh, choose Jesus or that um, God hates sinners or some shit like that, or, you know, the, the whatever verse out of Leviticus. And like you're, you've ha- you have your signs, you ch- everybody ignores you. Are you going to leave feeling defeated or like more defeated than like if you go to Pride to protest and then you get into a bunch of like confrontations with people? There is not a right response or a perfect scenario for this, because either way, they're going to spin it in their own minds as a victory for themselves. So if people yell at them, they're going to spin it as we're facing persecution because they know the truth when they hear it. And if they get ignored, they're going to spin it as our truth is so obvious that they couldn't even speak to us. So Mm. it's you cannot... You, there is not a perfect response, so it's better for people to do what is best and healthiest for them. You know, if if, if yelling at some homophobes and in a, in a safe situation is going to make your day and your pride experience better, again, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. But if you just want to have a good time and avoid them, that is okay. That's really okay. Because they're going to spin it to be a win for themselves no matter what you do. So just do what's better, best for yourself. Also, like, if you're the type of person that feels like you want to stand up to these people, it might do somebody else who doesn't feel like that some good to see somebody yelling at these assholes. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, so speaking of people that you don't want to interact with, with interact with at Pride, I wanted to give a note about cishet people, cishet allies who want to attend Pride and some general thoughts on that. Now, I'm going to be pretty, pretty broad because it is a whole huge discourse about whether it's appropriate for people who are not LGBTQ to attend Pride at all. This is just my opinion and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Leaving Eden podcast or any of its subsidiaries. There's a ton of discourse about this, but this is my show and I'm going to give my personal opinion on this. My personal opinion is that Pride is for all LGBTQ people first and allies second. I think that cishet people should absolutely be welcome. I think that cishet allies absolutely have to realize that this is not their space. The world in general, as much as it has made strides toward acceptance, which are now striding backwards, (laughs) is built for cis-hetero people. Like in most places in the world, even people who will accept you if you turn out to be queer, are going to assume that you're cis and straight until proven otherwise. And if you're going to attend Pride, you are going to a place where that is not the case, and you are a guest in someone else's space. So, please don't go. If you're going to grimace or make a funny face if you see a visibly queer couple, uh, don't go if you are going to ask a femme-presenting person who you see by themselves, where is your husband or is your husband here with you? (laughs) Like, if you haven't deconstructed that, like, basic compet, maybe this is not the space for you. Don't Hmm. know if you need to, if you, like, are going to feel the need to be over-the-top, performatively touchy-feely and do a ton of PDA with your hetero partner. 
Like, don't go if you're going to make ignorant comments like, I don't care what people do in the privacy of their bedroom, but I wish they wouldn't throw it in my face. Like, why the f*** would you even be a pride? Don't do that. Also, I just want to say, if you're going to, if if you're like the type of person who feels the need to do over-the-top, performatively touchy-feely and uh, like PDA with your partner, maybe you just shouldn't leave your house, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> just say it. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> this, is, this is fair i mean um, like <laughs> i feel like i am an extreme extreme pda person because if i go to like a like a play with my husband i'll sit and hold his hand or like if i go to a movie the, the i feel like that is like the level of socially acceptable <laughs> You did not go to public high school, man. You I did not. Oh. I went to high school where you weren't allowed to touch anybody. Mm. So, so, so uh, on the same topic, we also talked about how pride can be a place <clears throat> for the queer kink or BDSM communities in a way. Again, this is just my take. Definitely listen to other people. Listen to queer activists. Make your own opinion if this is something that you need to have an opinion on in the first place. I think if it's an essential part of somebody's queer identity, I don't mind them presenting as that part of their identity at Pride. So, like, you know, you're going to see people walking on leashes or people marching as the, I don't know, Portland Leather Daddies group or whatever else have you. I think that Pride is not the place for public kink scenes. I, I think it's fine if people are going to be all dressed up in, like, leather PVC or a furry outfit or whatever. You rock it. You go for it. Have a good time. Pride is not the place to get whipped on a street corner because for me, that crosses the line of non-consensually bringing everyone who is there into your kink activities. And that is a consent issue for me. So to circle back what I was saying about straight people at Pride, kink is not an LGBT identity. So if you are part of a cishet relationship and you are part of the kink community, you're still a guest at Pride, just the same as any other cishet people are. I fully support kink community having their own festivals and appropriate spaces, but Pride is not for that. It is for LGBT people and LGBT progress. So I do not find it appropriate for straight people to treat Pride as a kink festival. Mm. I, I think that is overstepping and I, I don't think that's appropriate. Go, going back to... So, so there's people that think that straight people shouldn't even go to Pride. Yeah. So if I went to Pride just to like watch the parade, and then I posted like on social media and like some pics, I'm like, yay, Pride, look how nice this is. Do you, like, do you think that somebody might get mad at me or, or people might get mad at me? Yeah, there's definitely a chance that people would... There are people who think that Pride should only be for LGBT community members. I don't think it's the majority of people. I think the majority pe of, of people who celebrate Pride are there to have a good time and celebrate and do activism for continued gay rights advances. And if you want to join the celebration as an ally, I think the majority of people are very happy to have you there. I see some valid points in the arguments of no straights at pride. Like I get where they're coming from. I just don't agree personally. I think that allies should be welcome as long as they understand this isn't for you. You are a guest. Be on your best behavior. This is this is like a big festival in like a public space. 
Right. And it's, it's kind of difficult to have a festival in a public space and then tell people that they can't go to it. So I absolutely see the value in queer only spaces. I think that that is, that is kind of a sacred tradition going back. Like we were talking about Stonewall earlier in the episode where I differ is I don't think that pride is that space. And one reason is I think back to early pride parades in the seventies and eighties, we can see the massive positive effect that allies had on early pride parades. There are, beautiful, famous images of straight parent alliances marching in pride, like hundreds of straight parents who are out there like, we love our gay kids and we accept them. There's a famous image of a mom wearing a t-shirt that says, I love my gay son, which makes me cry just about every time I see it. It's very sweet. I think I've seen that picture. Um, it's, it's very it's famous. old. It's like from the 70s or 80s, like a gay rights parade way back in the day. And those parents in particular were real assets to the cause of gay rights. So I think that 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 shows that there is a space for allies at Pride. So would you like to do a Sadie's Anxiety Corner segment on what to wear to Pride? (laughs) Absolutely. So if you're feeling anxious... uh, I want like a little theme song for Sadie's Anxiety Corner. (laughs) What what kind of theme song do you want? Do you want it to be like? Uh, Let's what's just get the, the listeners to make it up. They already made it a, like uh, several options for theme songs for when I get triggered. I feel like they're creative enough to handle this. Yeah, uh, like like what kind of vibe are we going for with the the? Is it like a Jeopardy thing? Because that's like no, I'm going anxiety inducing music. Uh, <laughs> I'm going for like like a like a kids show theme song. Sadie's anxiety corner. So I don't know if this is just me or if this is a deconstruction thing, and I hope that y'all will tell me, but I have this issue about freaking out specifically about what to wear to events. I think for me, it comes from having my clothing so tightly controlled for so many years that I never learned general social norms for what to wear to things. And I feel overwhelmed and nervous, especially when I'm going to a thing I haven't been to before. You, I'm sure you remember me losing my shit over what to wear to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur services. Like I Googled for weeks and it was so anxiety inducing. I I absolutely do remember that. And then we got there and it was just not that serious. It was just not a big deal. Yeah. But I was looking up like like dress codes from multiple denominations of Judaism <laughs> and like found out that some people don't wear leather shoes. <laughs> just, it was a whole thing. You're like I'm 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 married. Should I wear a wig? <laughs> That was not no. I did not oh, no, see that. Didn't, she didn't go that far. I did not go that far. <laughs> Should I cover my hair? No. no, no, I did not no. go that far. I did go far enough to go on like a three-hour Google rabbit hole about whether I could wear my Doc Martens because some some Jews don't wear leather, sh- and I can't remember which one of those holidays it's on. It's Yom Kippur. That's what I thought. But it's also like the soles. Some people are like, it oh, it's only leather soled shoes. And some the people general are like, oh, consensus like- is that it's leather soles because the idea is that your feet should be able to feel the texture of the ground that you're walking on. But rubber is the Right. <laughs> so rubber soles are fine. And my Doc Martens obviously are leather tops, but they have rubber soles. So I decided that it would be okay. <laughs> But this can like I, I I joke about it because frankly it's funny, 
But this can be a barrier for me to doing anything. Like I will get such anxiety over what to wear that I won't end up actually going and doing the thing because my anxiety can be that bad. Hmm. So I'm hoping that if this is relatable to anybody else, that I can be helpful. So it's pride. Um, I assume that there, you're going to be seeing many different levels of preparation. So on on one extreme, you'll see people, I don't know, they'll be in like jeans and a t-shirt. And on the other end, you'll see like, you know, your fully glammed up drag performers. Sure. And it's it's perfectly acceptable to go in like jeans or shorts and any rainbow themed or pride themed t-shirt or tank top that you happen to have. Maybe you've got like a band t-shirt or like a musician t-shirt featuring a well-known LGBTQ artist. Yeah, that was literally going to be my next thought. If you have a queen t-shirt, this is an optimal time to wear that. Yeah, if you want to be super hipster, maybe you could rock like a Wendy Carlo switched on Bach t-shirt. Yeah, sure. So it's totally acceptable to wear casual clothes um rainbow themed or a wendy carlos switched on bach t-shirt is definitely a plus but people do put together really elaborate outfits for pride which is fun if you're into that so if you are looking for an opportunity to put together a really amazing intricate outfit this is your opportunity uh the by pride flag is blue purple and pink so i had put together the time that I really dressed up, I put together an outfit with three tutus in the colors of the Bi Pride flag, which was definitely fun. I was extremely fluffy and could spin around a lot. And it was great. Uh, if you're trying to be on theme, short shorts, crop tops, fishnets, bright colors, cutout, glitter, rainbows, sequins will always work regardless of your gender. If you want to be on theme and you don't know where to start for inspiration... You can look up the colors of the pride flag that best fits you and build an outfit an outfit around that. So if you're a trans person, light blue, white, and pink. Or if you're a non-binary person, um, I think the colors are purple, lime green, and gray or white. Uh, if you're pansexual, the flag is royal blue, yellow, and pink. So you can kind of you can kind of go with the colors of either rainbow colors or the colors of the pride flag that fits you the best. That's a, a great place to a jumping off point for your outfit. Uh, question. Yes. Do the straights have a pride flag? Yes. Also, no. Um, <laughs> I had to ask. Let me explain. I did. Uh. So yes, there is a straight a straight pride flag. Wait, is it the one that that is like the American flag with like the thin blue line? You know the blue is is that no? The it's it's significantly worse. <laughs> it's the homophobes that made it. So even if you are like a straight ally, you don't necessarily want to associate with that, and it's not recognized by like the LGBTQ mm. community for obvious reasons. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because like I like I was saying a few minutes ago, I do personally think that allies should be welcomed as guests into Pride. I do not f- with adding the A for ally to the LGBTQ acronym. I thought there already was an A. I thought it doesn't well, yeah. the A the A stands for asexual, right? There's two, um, asexual and agender. Oh. Yeah, a, a lot of, if you do the the whole thing, uh, which I don't because I'm speaking and that would make our episode fifty percent longer. Um <laughs> but if you do the whole thing, a lot of people will put two A's in. And if you Google um straight pride parade 
or like straight pride flag. Hold up. Hold up. Let me Google this. <laughs> okay. I'm seeing a couple here. There's, there's one where it's like pink and blue and it's got the, the, the male and female symbols like interlocked like rings. Yeah. And and then I mean, the, I think you can probably see why that is problematic. <laughs> There's also one where it's got the male and female symbols. It's like black and white. It's I haven't seen that one. Oh, wait. Okay. Yes, I have. It's like black and white uh, horizontal stripes. So it's got like five stripes. Again, I think we like, can see why this is problematic. This, these are both f-ing terrible flags. I like these are almost as bad as the Baptist flag. <laughs> 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 oh, man. <laughs> I just I I just I feel very strongly that the entire point of being an ally is that you are not LGBTQ and that uh, I think part of being an ally in any social movement, like if you are a man, a cis man who is being an ally to people who are able to get pregnant uh, or if you are a white person who's trying to be an ally to people of color or if you're a straight person who's trying to be an ally to the LGBTQ community. You got to stay in your lane. You got to understand like part of being an ally is understanding that it is not about you. Like we want you in your lane and like we want you being a part of this, but please stay in that lane. Also, like isn't part of being an ally also recognizing that you don't get to choose whether or not you're an ally? You know what I'm what saying? Do you mean? Oh, like you don't just get to say I'm an ally and then act however you want. Like it, yeah. it is the marginalized people that get to decide whether you are an ally and define you as an ally based on your actions. Yeah. It's not like a, a right. badge that you like, you can't just f-ing, like pin an ally badge on and be like, I'm an ally. You could trust me. Like, you know, you can't just go and say I'm an ally, but I support ex political candidate who has homophobic policies and a past of transphobic comments that they've never really tried to distance themselves from or apologize for, because I really like the fact that they're going to lower my taxes. Right. You know, you're like, you can't do that shit. Right. <laughs> and and speaking of allyship, there are some things that you can do, not only during Pride Month, but all the time. Uh, of course, as Gavi said earlier, we encourage you to vote. Vote to end trans panic and gay panic defenses. Vote for people who will support LGBT people having the same rights as everyone else, namely the right to marry who they choose, to control their reproductive future, to be safe in public and private spaces, to have and own housing, and to talk about their partners, husbands, and wives at work. Like, please, please vote for people who are going to support all those rights. Dude, I feel like the Supreme Court like ruled that same-sex marriage was legal nationwide, and then everybody was just like... Okay, job done. We don't need to worry about LGBT rights ever again. What's the next? Like, you know, it's like literally the same that we did with with Roe v. Wade. We're just like, we don't need to worry about this anymore. And we see how that's turning out for us currently. Yeah. So we're probably going to get into this, the heavy side of this a little more before the month is over. But come on, people. Um, If your kindergarten teacher was a woman married to a man and they had children together, it was not inappropriate, nor was it considered inappropriate for you to be aware that she was married to a man and had children. And it is neither inappropriate for a kindergartner to know if their teacher is a woman who is married to a woman or a man who is married to a man or a non-binary person uh, and who has children. 
Like, come on. Yeah. Housing discrimination as well. Basically, what we're saying is that nationwide protections need to be written into law so that the courts can't just decide that they're going to take back whatever they said earlier, which they do. Um, and so that individual states can't try to like legislate LGBTQ people out of existence, which they try to do, you know, like I'm saying, all I'm saying, vote in the election that is coming up in order to make this a reality and tell your friends and tell your family members to do so as well. If you live in Oregon, like we do, or some state that has uh, somewhat better protections than your vote here could make a huge difference in protecting the rights of a person living in Texas or especially in Florida. Absolutely. I, I do think at the point that we are at, voting is crucial, absolutely important, not skippable, but it may not be enough to protect people immediately. So there are other things that you can do to help bridge that gap please vote. But in addition to that, there are organizations that you can donate to, organizations that help trans people access health care, the Trevor Project, which is an LGBT-focused crisis mental health organization that, that does a lot of good work. There are so many places that you can volunteer or donate along those lines. I think another part of allyship is understanding queer issues. You don't have to be an expert or understand every minute point of the discourse, but having a general handle on it, I think, is super helpful. If you didn't know previously about the history of pride or the history of queer resistance throughout modern history, I hope this episode helped out with that. This was just a, a research starter, a research appetizer. And I've linked a ton of articles that'll lead you to more articles and give you interesting stories to follow. You can also make it a point to learn more about and understand queer issues in history. And if you have the space and if you have the ability, you can help educate other people as well. I think this is a huge thing that we can do to, because I think that humanizing LGBT people and centering their stories can can be the thing that breaks the deconstruction dam for a lot of people. It, it was definitely a huge part of it for me. Wow. I know I mentioned this earlier uh, The when we were talking about some Jewish stuff. There's one thing that I think that I've known from my experience that I think could maybe be applicable to queer people listening to this is that... I, I, I don't know how like there's always going to be a certain portion of people that hate you no matter what. And that's not great, but and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. And you can you will never be able to appease somebody who is determined to hate you for your identity. That's what we were talking about in the early half of the episode. That's what people did for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it didn't help. Did that, it help? No. It, it didn't. No, it didn't help. It gave them a tiny, tiny bit of freedom and so much risk. Just like, like the stories that I told you in the early part of the episode, people would spend their entire lives trying to appease, trying to shrink themselves, themselves down enough that they would be acceptable and that they could live their lives. And that's big part of what the gay rights movement was about was not having to do that anymore yeah and i'm not i'm not going to tell people oh don't ever like live in fear because that's like how, how can you fucking not like <laughs> you people yeah 
your safety is a big deal, but we we want you to to be able to live authentically. Don't compromise your identity for somebody who is determined to hate you. That's all I'm trying to say. And and be determined and, bra- and brave in finding ways to do that safely. That is a great point to to end our episode on. How do you feel about ending it right there? That sounds great to me. Yeah, well, thanks so much for listening. Happy Pride to everybody and maybe some of you uh, this will be your first year attending a pride festival um, or a pride parade. And if that is the case for you, I hope that you have a great time. So, Gabby, I'm dropping I'm dropping this on you on a hot mic that you have not approved this idea. What? Um, can we have listeners send us pictures? If you tag us in like an Instagram story of pictures of you attending pride, we can repost it on our story. Oh, absolutely. That sounds great. That seems fun. We can yeah. just spend all month just lighting it up with with your pride pictures. That's positive content. People need to see that in their feeds. They don't want to see f***ing doom and gloom because that's all that we've been seeing in our feeds lately. Send us some happy pride sh- that sounds good. I want to yeah, see if that. You have, if you have pictures of you celebrating pride month, yeah, tag us in an Instagram story. Um, and if you give us permission to repost it. By tagging us, we'll we'll stick it on our Instagram story, and we can all kind of celebrate together. Yeah, it'll be super fun. Okay, um, I'm glad you liked that idea. No, I, <laughs> I guess I if you didn't, a, you could have just cut in the edit. No, that's a great idea. I, I love that. Um, you can, anyway, you can follow our podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. And you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash leaving Eden pod, no, groups slash Eden Exodus. Uh, same name for our subreddit. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And thank you so much for listening. Happy Pride to everybody. You guys have a good day. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.